Welcome to the Mental Health Adjacent Podcast, a place of support for the supporters. My name is Abby, and it is my goal to create a safe space where those that have loved ones struggling with mental health issues can feel heard and find tools to help on their journey. Here, you will listen to others sharing their experiences and get advice from professionals on how to best care for yourself while providing support for someone else. Having overcome compassion fatigue myself, it is now my mission to remind the supporters that self-care is not a luxury, but rather a necessity. Let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Sandra Strait. She's a former special ed teacher who now utilizes EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique Tapping, to help people release stuck emotions. Her struggles with her own mental health led her down a path of studying neuroscience to understand how the brain works. Today, she will share plenty of the lessons she has learned, both from her personal life and her professional field. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I have my friend Sandra here with me today. She's an EFT practitioner, and she has a lot of personal experiences with mental health. So I'm sure she'll have a lot of very valuable information to share with us. Um, welcome to the show, Sandra. Yeah, thank you for having me here. I love this topic. It lights me up to just be able to share. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm really excited that we finally got to, to do this together. Yeah, me too. I, we have been talking about it for a while. So it is really exciting to be able to just like talk about what's going on in the world and just how we can support one another through everything. Absolutely. So I figured we could start by you sharing a little bit of your own personal experience with mental health, both your own and if you've ever been in a supportive role for someone else. Yeah. Um, so I guess what comes to mind when I think about the beginning of my mental health journey is um, in high school, I started dating and um, I started to become really insecure, which was really, really new for me. And I had a very, very loving, supportive boyfriend and we dated for almost like three or four years. And it was really serious for a high school boyfriend. And um, I felt like really heavy, even though the relationship was super, it was a very loving container. And I remember um, that was kind of when, so like, just like my backstory is like, I was sexually abused as a kid. And in my high school years, no one knew about it. I was really, um, I was quiet until college. So um, my whole first boyfriend, I actually felt like I had lied to and so that kind of sparked my own uh like mental health journey I suppose you could say um I definitely had very very like intrusive thoughts happening in high school around that time especially when him and I separated and broke up um and at the same time a relative of mine was moving through really really intrusive thoughts and very suicidal so I think all of it combined really kind of brought this wave over me of like just wanting to look into what I could do to support myself at the time because I, I definitely needed to support myself. Another thing that comes to mind too, which I don't know if it played a role in my, my journey, but 
from my patterns that I've noticed. And anytime I did try to go on it, um, it did. So I was on birth control in high school and um, in college, when I went back on it, it actually, I remember being very like very low depressed mood. So I got myself right off of it just because again, I was just really stuck and frozen. And, and part of the, part of the story was I was still silent about my own um, childhood sexual abuse. So um, a lot of it, I was feeling in silence, to be honest, and pretty much doing anything I could to numb it. And I think what comes to mind with that is like, I didn't even, I, I think the way that I was numbing is not what people normally perceive is numbing. I say that because like I was in sports and I was in like everything you could possibly be in at school, but those were still numbing mechanisms for me. Yeah, because you're just keeping yourself busy to not have to look into what's going on inside of you. Totally, totally. So, um, but you know, no one ever questioned it. And so I didn't question it. And I didn't really feel like I had enough role models to like, not confide in, but to really understand what was happening to myself. But I did end up going to a counselor in high school who did play a pretty pivotal role in my life. She, all she did really was just kind of allow me to share some of my journey with her. And she, um, she pretty much invited me to have a mind about um, therapy moving forward. So then in college, um, I had a lot of drinking problems. I had alcohol poisoning um, twice, technically. That really scared me because I was, I had a point, I think it was 0.36 BAC, which is like near death. And um, it really scared my whole family. So that's kind of, that was a big wake up call for me to, you know, get my life together and actually start taking care of myself. And so, yeah, it's it's been a very interesting journey because after that is when I started sharing about my childhood sexual abuse story. And and with that came, they at first, when I would go to the doctor, they would say that it sounded like I was bipolar. And then the next time I went and I talked to them a little bit more about what was happening, they, they never actually put it on paper, but they would tell me that it sounded like PTSD. And so I started researching on my own. I like kind of gave up on doctors for a little bit because I just got curious. And I think that really helped serve my mental health journey for myself, which was like not just taking one person's opinion and taking it as my truth. It was more of like, okay, these are my symptoms, but on this day, this is what I'm looking like, and just started to get really curious about how I could help myself. So I know um, when they did mention PTSD, I did start to notice a lot of flashbacks. And uh, so I just started to get curious about what things I could do to really support myself. Meanwhile, also supporting a lot of other people who were definitely battling with mental mental health as well. Yeah, I feel like it's really interesting to, and it's a great thing to get curious, but um, I feel like self-medication is often a path a lot of people take especially when they don't want to like actually address what's going on with them so they feel like they can quiet it with like drugs or alcohol or maybe you know some other sort of prescription pills but they never actually go go find like a treatment that is specific for what they're going through and I feel like it's because despite all the advances we still live in a world that that has a lot of stigma regarding mental illness and there's still a lot of shame and guilt around it so a lot of people struggle to talk about it and reach out for the help they need. 
Oh, totally. It's, it's actually interesting that you like, just like this topic today, I've been studying, um, not studying, but really following Dr. Eamon. He's like a brain doctor and I'm super into the brain. And that's really a big part of my mental health um, healing. And he posted this like quote this morning around um, responding to a patient who's depressed and um, saying like, I didn't know these were, were symptoms, but if you're feeling this way, you may want to talk. Like he was just talking about how you might not look depressed and to other people, right? So for so many years, the, the moral of it was like, for so many years, I, nobody saw me as a depressed person. Like they actually saw me as a very uplifting and positive person. And, um, and I was for many people because I was putting my self last, if that makes sense. So I was definitely like doing this thing where I would just serve, 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 serve everybody else. But I wasn't taking the time to nurture and like, just like develop self-compassion for myself. So to the outsiders, it didn't look like depression. It didn't look like PTSD. It didn't look like anything. Yeah, I feel like that is a very common thing for those of us that are supporting someone else with mental health issues I feel like if we go into this um, pattern of serving 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 and we feel like it's selfish for us to take care of ourselves because you know we're not the one that's struggling or at least we're not the one without diagnosis so we feel like we shouldn't be looking after ourselves because the, the person that we have in our life, be it a partner or maybe a sibling or a parent, they're struggling. We feel like they're struggling so much more and they are like more legitimized to be feeling not okay. So we don't give ourselves a space to, to be feeling those things as well or to look after ourselves. Yeah, no. And I think, I think a big part of it as well as kind of like this, this like desire to stay safe, right? So like this like desire to like stay comfortable, stay safe and not really, I, I think that was a big part for me was like staying silent felt like the safest thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a, lo a little bit more if, if you feel comfortable with it about the times you've supported other people. You mentioned you had a lot of people in your life that were struggling with their own mental mental well-being. So what did it, did it look like for you to be a supporter for other people, especially while you were struggling so much as well? Yeah, I mean, so I feel like I, I not to say that I didn't do a good job at at holding space for people when I was moving through my own stuff, but I do feel like it was a little tainted because again, it was coming from this space of if I serve you, I don't have to look at myself. Whereas like now I'm in this whole nother place of like when I am supporting anyone with their mental health, it's from this very like sacred space in my heart that's like how can I hold space for you? What do you actually need? Because I think something that I noticed on my path was like, I didn't sometimes have the words or the, the I wasn't out of space where I was willing to invite the vulnerability to tell people what I actually needed, which a lot of the times was, was a hug or just for them to listen or, you know, like I wasn't actually looking for somebody to react 
react or respond. I was lo looking for someone to just listen and hold space and hold the container. Um, so like when I'm working with people or when I'm just like being there for a friend or family member now, it's a lot more of really like being just there to listen, like actively listening. And it's from a teacher perspective, when I was a teacher, it was really beautiful when I did practice this even in the classroom, when you just listen to what somebody's saying and you listen for what they're not saying, right? If that makes sense. So like in the silent moments, I'm looking at how are they responding? How are they physiologically responding? Do they have shallow breathing? Are they, and, and those like, are they moving their foot? Things like that, like those nervous types of tics. And I think for me, being able to watch and just like really hold that container for people these days um, has been profound change because then what I'm doing is I'm looking for what they're not saying so that I can invite them into a trusting container to talk more. Um, I think that's a big part of how I help um, friends and family now is just like I said, it's a it's an active listening. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And also, um, well, well, you have this background in, in teaching and you have your own experience being, you know, on the on the side of the person that struggling with their mental health. So do you have any tips on communication? Because I know communication is a really big deal, especially for those of us that are supporters, but maybe don't have firsthand experience in um, being the one that's struggling becomes really challenging to be able to communicate the, with the other person, especially when you're not on, like when you're having some sort of, you know, negative feelings, maybe you feel hurt, maybe something the other person did bothered you or whatever it may be. It's really difficult to know how to communicate that to the other person with, because you're so afraid of triggering them all the time. So you're constantly walking on eggshells. And I mean, it's not healthy to not talk about it and not address it and just swallow it because eventually, you know, you, you come to a breaking point and it kind of like explodes out of you. But it can be really difficult to know how to communicate it in the most caring way possible in trying to, you know, not trigger or upset the other person. Yeah, that's such a good, um, just like a, you, you just like put it all in this very beautiful, elegant way of saying it. Yeah, I just, it's actually funny because I, I never really sat to reflect on the communication part. Um, but, and, and being a teacher, right, it comes back to just really listening. Like what we desire as humans is to be seen and heard, especially when you're working with kids. And so in those moments of communicating, for me, it's really about listening and reflecting back and asking permission. I think that is the key in communication that people miss um, and what really helped me move forward and when people were supporting me is when they asked permission to give me advice. Like they didn't just jump to the advice. They'd say, hey, are you open for me to reflect back what you're saying? Are you open for me to tell you what helped my me during this? Is Are you open for me to give you some advice that I think might help, right? So they're asking permission they're not just invading your feelings or coming over and just making assumptions or anything. They're really listening and trying to help problem solve with you. And so you're an active member, you're an active part of finding the solution, right? So I think that's really key is, is making sure that it's 
a very open container to talk about. And, and again, I, I think it comes with permission. I think it comes with listening. And I, I think both people, who whoever you're talking with there, or maybe it's more people, everybody's has a way of being heard. Yeah, that is, that is so beautiful. I had actually never thought about the permission part. I feel like it's like we just take it for granted that we have a right to express ourselves and we do but i feel like it's something that we don't often think about asking for permission of the, for the other person and it can really make all the difference because when you're asking for permission you it doesn't come off as a sort of attack so they won't get defensive yeah exactly it, it comes off as like hey i really want to hear you and when you are saying it in that way and when you are like hey are you looking for me to just, I, I ask, and I do this with my partner, um, just in a dating situation too. I do the same thing. I say, are you looking for a response? Or are you looking for somebody to just listen? Yeah, that is, that is really beautiful advice. Um, so what else have you found? Because I know a lot of people struggle with getting help both for themselves and for their partner. I mean, you can't force someone else to get better if they don't want to. But what are some of the things that you found useful, especially when it comes to, you know, establishing your boundaries and knowing, you know, how to properly take care of yourself and look after your energy so that you're not pouring all of you and emptying yourself just looking to, you know, help someone else and going to a point where, you know, you risk burnout or you risk putting your own mental well-being on the line just to be aiding someone else? That's a good question. I think just for me, what comes to mind is being okay with saying no. Um, that's the biggest thing that I was learning was like, and I'm still learning that in my relationship and, and in my partnerships and things like that is just, you know, I it's okay to say no to the things that really aren't in alignment or don't bring you joy. And um, my biggest lesson of that was like my family when I would say no to, you know, coming home and visiting them because I live on my own for a couple of uh, years. Um, and and things like that so it was just really this this practice like practicing a muscle i always tell people boundaries is you know because they might change your your boundaries may might change and i think that comes with whatever is happening in your outside world so it's just kind of like a muscle that i was practicing of like when does something really feel good for me and when does it not not sure if that answers your question but that's what came to mind Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I also wanted to ask you because I've noticed in some groups I'm in that, you know, it's for support, especially for the partners of the people that struggle. I've noticed there's a really big part pattern of abuse from the part that is struggling with mental illness. They kind of like use it as a shield and really mistreat the other person. It may be verbally, sometimes a lot more, but they, there's this really pattern of kind of like using it as an excuse to allow themselves to be to not treat the other person with with respect and I would love to hear your opinions about that um I know very firmly believe that mental health issues whatever you may be struggling with is never an excuse or a free pass to mistreat another person but I've also never been on the side of struggling with a mental illness so I don't know how you know how it may work inside the mind when you're going through that so I would love to hear your thoughts of it as someone that's been through that Yeah, so just to clarify, you're asking if I um I experienced any form of abuse from the other person or vice versa? Yeah, either one. Like I know it's it's a very common thing to kind of like try and take the guilt out of you in a way and 
blame the other person and it can come with a lot of aggressive behavior so either one if you've been in like if you experience the abuse or if you've used it as a coping mechanism just what your view is on the topic um so i mean i i guess um my first relationship that i spoke of i definitely played victim i definitely used my mental health and to really kind of keep him. And I'm not sure if that's what you were asking, but I definitely did do that. My first relationship, the best thing that he did was he left because what it did for me was it really helped me see the parts of me that I wasn't, I wasn't really looking at, I wasn't healed. Um, I wasn't even exploring at the time. So I did definitely play that, that victim mentality. And it's not to say that there, I I, I have a lot, I haven't really thought of this in a really in-depth way to be able to verbalize it perfectly, but I definitely have played that that role. Um, and as far as just like my over, overall view of it, to me, I just think that what it comes down to is, you know, this idea of trauma is really like we have no idea what, what people are perceiving. And um, we have no idea what people have gone through. And I always think of this one example of client slash somebody that was in um, a practice. She like lived her whole life in perfectionism because somebody laughed at her when she fell when she was like four. So the way that the brain works, it's just so complex. And um, a lot of our perceptions and a lot of our beliefs and a lot of the way that we live our patterns are from childhood. So it's not to slap anybody's hand and say that was okay, or like, you know, dismiss how somebody's showing up in a relationship. I'm not here to say anything about abuse, but it's just really this piece of like, there's so much trauma and there's so much hurt and pain going on that I really don't believe that most people have been taught or have been modeled how to ask for help or even just to admit or take responsibility for what they're doing. Yeah, I think that is definitely a key aspect, the taking responsibility part. And I feel like we all struggle with it on some extent or another mental health struggles or not. I know it's something I've struggled with in my life, taking responsibility. So that is definitely something to work on, I think, on on every part. Yeah, I, and I just like, I always invite people into thinking about it as a muscle. Like for me, I didn't grow, I grew up with really loving parents. Um, They're awesome. They supported every single dream I've had and they'll continue to do that. But they were very hardworking and did a lot of their time. um, They were at work. So the models that I had in my life to really teach me how to regulate or really teach me emotional intelligence were pretty slim. And the ones that I did have that were the most effective were teachers. So in, in coming from a teacher standpoint, having had the background of being able to be a teacher, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of, there's not a lot of space to teach kids these things from a young age. Um, there's not a lot of openness to teach emotional intelligence a lot of the times um, because of the pressures of everything else. So for me, it's just like looking at um, with the responsibility pieces, like it's a muscle. And a lot of the times it takes having models and, and people in our lives to show us how to do that. So yeah, that's kind of what came to mind from that. Yeah. And do you have any recommendations on how we can invite ourselves or others to practice 
um, that taking responsibility, especially, you know, when, when we're already grown up and we may not have those models, what are some good exercises or things that you can do to create that space, maybe for yourself or maybe for someone else to work on stepping up to that responsibility? Oh, totally. So the best advice I ever got during my talk therapy sessions, when I was dealing with all of the sexual abuse stuff was she, I was in a relationship at the time and the relationship was beginning to get a little toxic just because we were both very overwhelmed with the amount of memories coming up and all the other things that were coming up with it. So something she invited me into using was saying, using the word I. So when we would have conversations that were, you know, uncomfortable or not really, <laughs> they were pretty confronting, I would start the conversation by saying, hey, I'm feeling this way. And then I would say, this is the story that I'm telling myself right now. And I would say, I just want to know, like, is this your experience of it? So right there, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not reacting in a way that I'm blaming somebody. But what I'm doing is I'm taking responsibility from the beginning of what's happening in my experience. And from there, I'm opening up the conversation to um, allow them to express their side of it. So it's more open and it's less blaming and shaming. Yeah, I love that. That is a very good strategy. I feel like we take our experiences as a like a fact and we often forget that what we're living in the way we're experiencing the world is only our experience of it and someone else can have a very different interpretation of it based on their own, you know, history and whatever is going on inside their head. Totally. Yes, exactly. And so that's, that was, I would say the most helpful piece of advice I ever got during therapy. And I use it to this day, you know, the ego is a pretty funny thing. So a lot of the times when I do have a conversation with my partner or whoever I'm talking to, and I say, Hey, I'm experiencing this. And you know, this is the story I'm telling myself a lot of the times it's not true. Like we're not experiencing the same thing. And once we like can have that open dialogue, I feel better. They feel better. It's there's no resentment built up. Yeah. I love that. So as I mentioned in the, in the beginning, you're at an EFT practitioner. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is and how does that work? Yeah, totally. Um, emotional freedom techniques, what people pretty much describe it is like acupuncture without the needles. And what I'm like honing in on really recently is all the science that comes behind it because I think it is just so powerful to really back things up by data and science. And part of what we're doing when we're tapping is we are presenting an issue. We're allowing an issue or something that brings us discomfort to be, to pretty much have a container to process itself. So while we're tapping on each of the meridians, we're activating a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is what tells us something safe or not safe. It sends our fight or flight response into drive. And we're activating that and allowing this input of kinetic energy onto the points that we're tapping. And while we're doing that, it decreases the arousal of that amygdala and allows this emotional block or energy to be cleared in the body restores, the bioenergy system restores. And that's very scientific and people don't normally resonate with it, but I think it's super important to explain it that way. Um, but the way that I explain it, which most people resonate with, is we create space 
in the body for emotions slash energy to process. And so we're kind of not taught, <laughs> um, I would say, or modeled how to express emotions. And so tapping allows us to create that space in our body because emotions are energy in motion. So when we're not allowing emotions to move through us and out, they get stuck and they get stored in the body and they get stored in the organs and that's when we have disease and illness. So I really love it um, because it does allow the experience of emotions to be processed in a very safe way. Um, so that's kind of science and like my way of explaining it. And yeah, it works for a bunch of different things. I use it for my own and I still use it for my own regulation tool for my experiences with PTSD flashbacks and my experiences with symptoms of anxiety. So, um, and people use it for food cravings and they use it for all of these things. But for me, especially when it comes to mental health, I think it's a really beautiful tool to have in your toolbox when you're, you know, like I, I wish I had this tool. This is what I always say. I wish I had this tool in between therapy sessions to be able to regulate myself and be able to process things between therapy. Yeah. So it's something to work alongside something else, not something you would Absolutely. do on your on its own. Absolutely. I, I think it's an additive to, you know, um, medicine or an additive to therapy or an additive to um, whatever you're doing, right? It's not to substitute. It's not to take away. It's actually just a beautiful tool to have to, yeah, like I said, process emotions and really just, you know, be able to befriend your body and, you know, listen to it. Yeah, I, I've done sessions with you, especially the one we did after my breakup. Um, that was super helpful to to move the energy and especially for me that I sometimes struggle with letting emotions out. It was super helpful to kind of drain that out of my body. Yeah, I remember it was so powerful to just like witness you and like the openness of you allowing it to happen, right? Because I always tell people it has nothing to do with me. It's the tool. It's your body. It has actually nothing to do with me. It's your body knowing um, how to process things and really how it has so much wisdom. So when we allow it to do what it, you know, what it can do by itself, we work with it instead of working against it. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people work with you with the EFT tapping? How does that work? Yeah, I, um, so I'm really like, I love making sure that both people feel like we're a good fit. So I just invite people to schedule a, what I call a discovery call. And it's a 20 minute to 30 minute call. And we talk about what the presenting issue is or what is going on in your life. And we make sure that we are, we both feel like it's a safe container. We both feel like it's a space to co-create and really, you know, feel safe. Um, I think it's super important to be able to hop on a call and really make sure that when you're going to do um, six hours of deep work with somebody that you have that that kind of relief of like, let's make sure that we both feel this way. So um, the best way is to just hop in my calendar and get on a call. And again, we'd see if it's a good fit. Yeah, great. And I mean, it's great for everyone. Um, I know sometimes when we are supporting someone with that's struggling with their mental health, it's very easy to get a lot of emotions that you don't always know what to do with resentment can be a very present thing and a lot of anger and a lot of different emotions so this is definitely a very great way to work through them and have them really without the necessity of you know exploding or 
pouring all of that onto the other person. Yeah, I love that. And something I've just been inviting people to do and use is like tap while you're talking to somebody while you're having that confronting or uncomfortable conversation, because it will tell the part of the brain, the amygdala to decrease its activation. So it, I've used it in, in conversations that were a little bit more heated. And I've definitely seen that it works. So so how would that work? You would just be talking normally and you'll be tapping as you go? Yes. Like it's, it's called um, rant and tap in the clinical EFT world. Um, yeah. So you just pretty much are ranting, ranting, saying whatever and tapping at the same time. Perfect. And you do have a PDF we can share that shows all the points. So if people want to try that, they can definitely look at the PDF and give it a try. Yep. Totally. Awesome. Um, any other tips you can share about how to maybe incorporate um, some of these techniques or anything else you've found useful for maybe, you know, the more critical situations, maybe when some when you're witnessing someone going through an anxiety attack or a panic attack, those can be very stressful and exhausting for both parties or, you know, any sort of very high tension situation um, that is related with all of this sort of um, struggles. Uh, any tips that you found useful that you would like to share? Yeah, you know what? The biggest thing that comes to mind is don't forget to take care of yourself. It's a lesson I learn over and over again. And it's probably because of my nature is to give and my nature is to serve. But don't forget to hold that same container, that same safe space and that, you know, hold that space for yourself. And, you know, if that means binge watching New Girl on Netflix or that means getting in a bath and taking care of yourself, that means cold showers, whatever that means. I always go back to that oxygen tank, like putting yours on first. I think it's so important. And I wish I knew that a long time ago um, so that I could hold more space for other people and so that I could, you know, really listen to what others were saying. So yeah, I think that's my biggest advice is really take care of yourself and um, it's okay to help others. And it's totally, you know, a beautiful thing to hold space for other people, but ensure that you are holding that same space for yourself. Yes. And like we were talking about active listening, also actively listening to yourself and what your needs are. Totally. I love that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like also it's really important to remember that it's not selfish um, to hold space for yourself and it's not something to feel guilty about. It's something we all should be doing. And I think it's really a disservice that our society does to us, making us feel guilty when we look after ourselves and hold space for ourselves before anyone else. Yeah, definitely. I resonate with that feeling shame and feeling guilt. And I agree. I think it's, I think it's definitely something that is shifting though in the world. So that's pretty beautiful to see. Yeah. And one thing I want to go back to real quick is I really liked when you said that it was the best thing your ex, your high school ex did is leave because that, that forced you to, you know, look at yourself and address things that maybe you wouldn't have before. And I think that is a very important thing. I know a lot of people stay in, especially in romantic relationships, because if it's a parent or, you know, a sibling or something like that, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to break, you know, the relationship with that person, but especially in romantic partnerships. So many people stay by the side of someone that's struggling with their mental health, but that they're not doing anything to get better. 
and are not willing to look at themselves to, you know, improve the situation for everyone. And there's no obligation to stay. And sometimes leaving and breaking up with that person can really be the thing that puts them, you know, on a more self-healing path because when you have that other person always there for you it can sometimes be like a crutch and you don't feel like you need to do the work because you know that other person is always going to be there so it can sometimes be like the little push a person needs to go get better and get the help they actually need oh absolutely and you know what it's it's almost interesting when I look back it wasn't just him it was every guy after him did the same. And you know, every single time I just met another layer of myself. So I, I definitely, in my experience of it, have um, had many, many men leave. And um, for me, again, it was just a really beautiful unraveling of really getting to, um, getting to the point where I am now where I can communicate and where I'm willing to have the conversations and willing to be vulnerable. So yeah, absolutely. So um, where can people find you if they want to, you know, have that first call with you of their, or if they're interested in learning more about EFT? Yeah, um, I would say the best place right now is going to be just my website. So it's www.tapintoyourinnerchild.com. And once you go on there, there is a Calendly link where you can schedule a call and I have uh, times open every day during the week during like business work hours but I think that's the best place to reach me look at what I'm doing and just kind of yeah look at the opportunity to use it in your life if that's something that you feel called to awesome and I will definitely leave the link on the show notes I'll also leave some links to your social networks so that people can connect with you perfect I love it Awesome. Thank you very much for being here today. It was lovely um, talking to you. It's always, <laughs> I always learn so much from you and I'm definitely get glad we, we finally got to do this together. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel so honored to be able to share and just like even the questions and like these were um, the conversation just flowed and I loved how easy and like vulnerable and courageous this conversation can be because these are questions and topics that I deeply feel like need to be talked about a lot more. Absolutely. And that's what we're hoping to do on here. So thank you so much. You as well for being willing to be so open and vulnerable with us. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Mental Health Adjacent Podcast. I hope you found the information shared helpful. If you liked the show, please take a few minutes to leave a review. It would mean the world to me. If you aren't yet, remember you can join the Facebook group Mental Health Adjacent Community, a safe space where we support the supporters. And you can follow me on Instagram on at mh.adjacent. Until next time.